Welcome to God With Us with Pastor Daniel Hahn of the Pittsburgh Tri-Parish Lutheran Churches. It is indeed a great blessing to have you here with us today as we continue to share the exciting truths that are alive in the Word of God. In today's message, Jesus asks, Who do you say that I am? The answer to that question reveals important truths about him and about us. Let's join Pastor Han now on God With Us. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus Christ, dear Son of God, help us always to confess your holy and saving name. Help us to share your name with others that they might know your great love for them. We ask this in your holy name. Amen. Our reading today is from the 8th chapter of Mark's Gospel. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. And he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And he called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his life? For what can a man give in return for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is our reading. In the name of Jesus Christ the crucified, amen. Who is Jesus? That's the primary question at issue in our scripture reading today. And from the answer to that question flow two important implications. First, what will Jesus do as a consequence of who he is? And second, who are we? And what are we to be about as a consequence of who Jesus is? St. Mark writes, Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. That location is important. 
Jesus is leading his disciples beyond the boundaries of Judea into the territory of the Gentiles. Going to Caesarea Philippi was like traveling to another planet. A few clicks out from the Jewish territory, the languages changed. The peoples changed. The customs and values changed. There were suddenly herds of pigs roaming the fields and pagan temples dotting the landscape. And that's the background where Jesus begins to ask the disciples, who do people say that I am? It always piques my curiosity when Jesus asks questions for which he already has the answer. He doesn't need the disciples to conduct a Rasmussen poll to find out the various opinions out there about him. He knows them. But he puts this question to the disciples because they are also aware of the discussions, speculations, and questions that are out there about who Jesus might be. Multitudes in Galilee had been flocking to hear Jesus preach and had seen him work miracles, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind, multiplying loaves to feed the thousands. And they were asking questions. Mark chapter 6 records some of them. Where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty works done by his hands? And the disciples themselves had been asking questions. In a fishing boat floating on the miraculously calmed waters of the Sea of Galilee, they asked one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And now it's time for some answers. Who do people say that I am? They reply, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. They'd heard all of those things said, maybe even suspected a few of those things themselves. But since all of those answers given are wrong, it's not worth much reflection on them. But it might be helpful to ponder what the answer to our Lord's question might be if he asked it today. If this was America 40 years ago and Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? The wrong answers out there would have included the idea that Jesus was just a great prophet or a moral teacher or just a very good man. Now, there's some truth in each of those answers, but each is so far short of the full truth that they are just wrong. But today, in 2021, I suspect the answers would be different. What are people saying about Jesus today? The people you know from work or from online. What are they saying? about Jesus. There's still some out there who have a high opinion of Jesus as a moral teacher or a very good man, but there's a sizable group of people who see Jesus as a source of evil, the founder of a religion that they think is simply hateful. And there's an even larger group of people out there who have no opinion about Jesus whatsoever because they've heard almost nothing about him. 
and he is therefore a nothing to them. Who do people say that I am? Well, Jesus, some folks out there think you're the enemy, and there's a lot of other folks that know the names of all the Kardashians, but they don't know anything about you. That's the answer today. Again, that's not news to Jesus. John writes that Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. But our Lord's question came to the disciples and comes to us for important reasons. One is that this question is foundational to the more important question that follows. Who do you say that I am? For it is against all of those wrong answers out there that we and the Lord's disciples of the past will have to maintain our own confession about Jesus. It was one thing to be a faithful Christian in this country 40 years ago, and it's another thing to be a faithful Christian today because the environment around us has changed. We're not in Kansas anymore. We've left Judea and we're heading to Caesarea Philippi. And the calling to be faithful is going to be more challenging. Right now, we're all like that 18-year-old kid who goes off to college in the big city and leaves the structures of family and church life behind. And suddenly that confirmation day confession of Jesus that was made in the relative safety and familiarity of our past is being put to the test in a very different situation. We're all there. So having an awareness of what the world around us is saying about Jesus is important. And it's not just important in trying to stand against the rising tide of godlessness and unbelief that's out there. It is vital for our mission. Though for a time before his resurrection, the disciples will be told to keep silent about him, those 12 that Jesus led out of their familiar environment into the pagan regions would ultimately be called to return to Caesarea Philippi and to every nation under heaven to share the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, just as they would be called to preach the full truth about Jesus to their fellow Jews in Judea, that all people might come to know Jesus Christ as he truly is and have eternal life in him. In the same way, our awareness of the world around us must prompt our own compassion toward those who do not yet believe and inform our prayers on their behalf and compel our loving witness to them about the only Savior for all people. Having asked what others were saying, Jesus then asks, who do you say that I am? Again, the Lord reads hearts. He already knows the answers. He knows the answer of your heart. The point is not for Jesus to get information from the disciples, but to elicit a confession, a confession of faith 
given not by men, but by the Father in heaven. And Peter answers, you are the Christ. Those words, that confession, is a miracle that far surpasses giving sight to the blind or feeding the 5,000. The working of faith in the human heart, the turning from unbelief to trust in God, the confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior promised from the time of Adam and Eve and declared by all the prophets that he is the true, eternal, and only Son of God, and that such a confession could, should come from sinful human lips, and that the heart that speaks them might actually believe them, that is a miracle supreme. It is nothing short of raising the dead. For we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God made us alive together with Christ. He opened our lips that our mouth could declare his praise. He breathed new life into the dust of our being. You are the Christ. That is the miraculous confession about Jesus that God has graciously worked in the heart of every disciple from that day until this day. It is the very rock upon which the entire Christian church is built. Do not delude yourself into thinking that the reason you believe is that you had parents who believed. That's not the answer, although it, that certainly doesn't hurt. There are a lot of people out there who believe who had unbelieving parents and plenty who don't believe who were raised by parents that did. Every single person does need someone to bring them to Jesus, the Christ. And God bless them, parents are very often the instruments for doing that. But faith is finally a working of God the Holy Ghost, who calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. You are the Christ. That's the answer. That's who Jesus is, the anointed Savior sent to us from God, the one who is God. And in that word, Christ, that Peter confesses, is the unfolding of the plan and purpose of God. Knowing who Jesus is, he now begins to share what he will do as a consequence of who he is. Mark says he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. The eternal plan of God for the salvation of the world had always been a matter of public record, but never had it been so clearly revealed. At the fall of Adam and Eve into sin, God revealed that a savior would come, the offspring born of woman who would crush Satan's power and be wounded in winning the victory. Moses had raised up a serpent on a pole as God's means of salvation and as a hint of the Messiah who was to come. 
And Isaiah had spoken of the suffering servant who would bear our sins and carry our sorrows. But now, in this moment, the exact person who was to fulfill these promises being made known, the Lord reveals also the exact way in which he would accomplish our salvation by his rejection, suffering, death, and subsequent resurrection. What, will Jesus, what Jesus will do is a consequence of who he is. To be the Christ means for him to bear the cross. If he does not go to the cross, then he is not Christ and is no savior. And any thought that Christ and his cross might be separated from one another, such as Peter had, is not only human thinking, it's downright demonic thinking. Get behind me, Satan. For Jesus to be the Christ is to fulfill the office given to him as our Redeemer and to leave nothing undone for our salvation. When you and I, by God's grace, are given to confess Jesus as Christ and bear witness to others that he is the Christ, we can be sure that he never fails to be who he is and never fails all that is given and promised by his name and his title. When we come to him in prayer, when we approach him with our needs and sorrows, we can be confident that he will fulfill to the letter every promise of his perfect word and every intention of his perfect love until he has brought us to the completion of all that he has promised in the resurrection to glory and in his kingdom that shall have no end. He is the Christ. He will do it. The second implication that flows from who Jesus is is a new understanding of who we are because of who he is. As we have seen, if he is the Christ who does his office and keeps his promises, then we are the people who can rely upon him to be faithful to help us in every earthly and spiritual need. Because of who he is, he speaks a truth about who we are in him, declaring us forgiven and beloved children of God. And if he is the Christ who takes up his cross, that we are the people who are called to take up crosses of our own and follow him. Jesus called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Please note that Jesus does not say you need to go find yourself. That's what the world teaches. Find yourself. But Jesus says, deny yourself. Our identity as disciples is found in him. In a great paradox, we find our true self by denying self and gain life by losing it by giving ourselves away in service, love, and witness for Jesus' sake. 
For whoever, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That's how it works in the kingdom. That's what it means to have life and identity, not in our own will or desire, but in Christ. Our desires, our will, ourselves, being crucified with Christ by daily contrition and repentance, bear fruit in the life of the new person, the new self given by God. Many years ago, a young man came to the church, not this church, but came asking for help because he did not have enough money to feed his little girl. I gave him help. He then asked for a ride home, and I took him. In that short drive home, he not only asked me to stop so he could buy cigarettes, he showed me his new phone, for which he was paying nearly $400 a month. That's insanity. When a man who thinks he has no money to feed his child has money for an iPhone and cigarettes. And yet I don't think that he was intending to do anything wrong or was even aware of how messed up that was. And I see him as something of an illustration of what happens in all sorts of different ways to all sorts of different people when they are not connected to Christ. When Christ is not first for us, everything else becomes disordered and upside down. We indulge in human ways of thinking and not in the ways of God. And priorities become mangled and misaligned, even to the extent where evil becomes good and good evil. Apart from Christ, it's impossible for anyone to understand what really has value, what truly is good. And people end up giving their lives over to that which is ultimately worthless and meaningless. They give their passion and energy and intellect to that which finally amounts to nothing at all. Striving to save their lives or improve their lives or to make an identity for themselves, they lose their lives and lose themselves. And living always for the now, they lose the things eternal. Jesus says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul or his life? For what can a man give in return for his soul? And he says, whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. We pray. Lord Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of God. Help us. 
For we live in a world that denies you and is ashamed of you. And in the weakness of our sinful flesh, we are tempted to deny you and be ashamed of you. Increase our faith. Grant us courage and boldness by your word and Holy Spirit. Strengthen our trust in you. Open our lips that we may continually confess you. Steady our hands and hearts to take up the cross and follow you. And teach us love and mercy for those who do not yet believe that we may share the hope that you have given us with them. We ask this in your holy and saving name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's broadcast of God With Us. This program is brought to you every week by your friends of the Pittsburgh Tri-Parish Lutheran Churches and this radio station. We invite you to join us for Sunday worship at one of the congregations of the Pittsburgh Tri-Parish. And remember, all are welcome. St. John's Lutheran Church, located at 501 North Avenue, Millville, Pennsylvania, with worship every Sunday at 9 a.m. Bethel Lutheran Church, located at 301 Scott Avenue, Glenshaw, Pennsylvania, with worship every Sunday at 10.15 a.m. And Zion Lutheran Church, located at 237 37th Street in Lawrenceville, with every Sunday service at 11.30 a.m. Until next time, may our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God with us, always be with you.